I, a poor peasant, have conquered science. Why can't I conquer love? Don't you understand? You must be mine, not his. You are mine. Liar! Hypocrite! You disgust me! Welcome to the GoldenAgeHorror.com podcast. My name is Matt, and each week I watch a classic horror movie with my friend Andrew, who's never seen it before, and we talk about it. This week we watched a personal favorite of mine, the 1935 movie Mad Love, starring Peter Lorre. Uh, Mad Love came out in 1935, directed by Carl Frund, starring Peter Lorre. It's the uh, second adaptation of the novel Le Main de Orlac by Maurice Renard. And the first adaptation was The Hands of Orlac, which starred Conrad Veidt, a famous uh, silent horror movie. I'd never seen it, uh, but I imagine it's fairly similar. The story is uh, fairly familiar. Peter Lorre's a creep. <laughs> Peter Lorre's a creep. He creeps on <laughs> someone, some guy loses, her husband loses his hands, he gives him murderer hands, <laughs> <laughs> and then... He kind of goes crazy because he keeps throwing shit with his hands. Yep. yep. And then Peter Lorre dies because he's a creep. <laughs> he creeps a little too hard to the sun. So if if, you, if there's a moral to this movie... Still be a creep. creep. Right. <laughs> and make sure your hands aren't murderer's hands. All right, so I just let me write that down. Don't be a creep. Make sure your hands aren't murderer hands. So once I get those two things accomplished... You're pretty, pretty much set for life. You won't die a premature yeah. death. Um, so like I think like, uh, like we talked about just a few minutes ago, the movie... Much more interesting visually than some other movies, like Dracula's Daughter. Uh, yeah. Carl Froon, who directed it, um, is most famous for being a cinematographer, actually, but he was responsible for like the camera work and stuff and the lighting, I think, or at least some part of the some large part of the visual look of the movie Metropolis, which is yeah. a, a very very good looking movie. And it's a movie that's brought up. Like, yeah, constantly. it's. A, I mean, it's it's like a it's a completely foundational <laughs> movie for just like the modern era. And I really, I think like some of those silent movies and that being one of them are really like, have not been matched as far as, as far as look, I, I don't, I can't say it doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem like a problem that you can throw money at. I don't know. No, it's like, it's a situation where it's early on. So someone had to do it first and they did it, but now that they've done it, people are sort of like, maybe they're too informed by the craft. Yeah. And they don't know how to start from that sort of very early space yeah. anymore and get experimental like and, that. and we don't have um practical uh practical sets and costumes like that really anymore either so it seems like we're never going to really get something like that yeah you have to be you have to very deliberately want practical sets yeah it, it's expensive to compared to the cost of computers so yeah we have computers we, we each have computers yeah. i'll get a copy of blender i'll make a movie yeah, right really, now it's, it's so much so much easier and cheaper to do with computers it's hard for really anyone on any level from a studio down down to i guess like agree to finance all that extra manpower yeah, but uh, yeah, Carl Froon was responsible for that. He worked with Fritz Lang, who directed *Am in Metropolis*, and uh, he also directed *The Mummy*. And I believe he went on to do oh, that's, that's yeah, my favorite. Yeah, with, that's my favorite. Yeah, Brendan that's, movie. Well, that's what he directed. He what a way to go! What a way yeah. to go out <laughs> in the in his forties in nineteen thirty five. Just stick around for uh, seventy five more years and direct *The Mummy*. <laughs> He's like, I have to live through this. I know there's gonna be he an just, actor. He just got the script for the mummy, and he just said, 
This is gonna. I gotta go out of this one. This is gonna be my last hurrah. This is, just, can't deny this material. Um, I he, like. Yeah. You had, to, go ahead. you had to stay alive long enough for an actor who could <laughs> really tap into yeah. his potential. Really, uh, the, the unparalleled visual style and composition of the Mummy, starring Brendan Fraser. No, the yeah, real, the real Mummy, starring Brendan okay. Fraser. Um, <laughs> starring what? Boris Karloff. Yes, Boris Karloff. Yes, sir. Is he the Hammer Bell Lugosi? So I just <laughs> yeah. took a guess. You see, Boris Karloff's a bigger yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, Boris Karloff. More, more in the end, a much better actor and and many more movies than Bell Lugosi. So you, took, I think you took the right guess. I know, I don't think I've ever seen him act. I just known him as like a big guy. I think yeah, he's actually not like huge, but he wore platform shoes in Frankenstein. So I imagine that's what you're referring to. Uh, well, sometimes you just imagine people are bigger than yeah, they are. certainly, certainly. Your impression. I think. Them. I think if you, when you watch some Boris Karloff movies, you'll be pleasantly surprised by what a good actor he was. I certainly was. I, I like. I, I had seen Boris Karloff movies before, but I did not realize um, that he was actually like a very talented actor. Like legitimately. Like when you put in the Mummy, like there's no reason for him to play that so subtly, but he like doesn't go over the top at all. Which is, which is, it's, it's like compared to someone like Bela Lugosi. Like Bela Lugosi's great to watch. He's very charismatic, but like he's way over the top. You know. And even to some extent, Peter Laurie in this movie, Mad Love. He's not super over the top, but he's. But the character is yeah. a bit over the top. I mean, he has a wax statue. <laughs> yeah. <of> that <laughs> yes. woman. He, yeah. It, it, the movie opens like uh, in a in a great. Uh, what I think it's a great setting for a horror movie, which is I can't pronounce it, but the Grand Guignol Theater. I don't know how you say that. Do you know how to say that? No, that sounds fine to me. Uh, I don't know. It sounds yeah. fine. Sounds foreign already, enough I, to be mispronounced. I already mangled uh, the the main to Orlock. So there you go. How do you pronounce Guignol? Are you getting that? I'm getting a fan taking off. It sounds like a plane. It's Guignol. Okay. Guignol. Guignol. Okay. It's also a very loud fan. I don't know what that is. That must be must be a computer, like a computer fan. But I don't hear it. Doesn't sound, I don't hear it at all. So it's only when you tell me. Tell to. Like you hear this when you go, you hear this, you go. <laughs> okay, yeah. So the grand, I already forgot how to say it. Greenold. Yeah. Uh, which is like that. It's a. It's like a famous. I don't know what you call it. Like a, it was a theater, a, a theater, theater, theater house in France, and they were famous for putting on like movies about torturing and mayhem and death, basically. Oh. And, and if you remember, I don't know if you remember the brief shot of her being in the play, but. Uh, it was like she was being she was on the rack or something like that or the yeah. wheel yeah she was she was no it's the rack because that's where you're twisting yeah. the person they're stretching the, the rack. rack and that, that was like all that was like the premise of that, that theater it was just like to shock you so I think that's a great untapped uh, I, I can't think of any other movies that have that in it I most probably don't think to yeah I believe I believe it was in the one of the Anne Rice uh, Vampire Chronicles books was a large portion of it took place there she really liked Dracula's daughter <laughs> she probably did I feel like Dracula's daughter. She really clued in the homoerotic vampires. Yeah, there you go. Dracula's Dracula's like daughter. I, I Responsible for Anne Rice. Literally, absolutely. Literally read that. That she was very oh, highly influenced That's by. That's actually it. a thing. Yeah, I actually I read. You were being facetious. No, I wasn't. I was being accurate. I was being one hundred percent. I read that exact sentence. You read that someone else was being facetious. <laughs> I'm. Unless Wikipedia can be facetious with me, but I don't yeah, think they Wikipedia are. Wikipedia can't lie. They have fact checkers. Why would they? He's he's a very interesting to watch. Kind of guy. I also really like the his costume, but, which when he's pretending yeah, to be murder, that's, that's that's a great moment when he comes out in the gimp suit and his metal hands and the big 
his neck corset yeah. and his crazy glasses. Yeah, so it's it's kind of uh convoluted, but he gets uh the Stephen Orlock, the pianist whose hands he replaces with murderer hands. He decides to drive him insane so that he can get the man's wife. And to do that he pretends to be a guillotine victim who he has replaced the head of. Well, he just rehashed that. Yeah. So he, being Dr. Gogol, pretends to be the killer Rolo, who was executed for knife throwing, whose hand Stephen Orlock got. So that's a little convoluted, but I hope that made some kind of sense. Um, But yeah. The woman's husband got the murderer head. (laughs) Yep. But the murderer was executed, and then Peter Lorre pretended to be the murderer. Yeah, that makes sense. Because he wanted the man's wife. Because he assumed if, you know... Yeah. She, if there was, if she had no husband in the country, she's like, I'm going to marry this guy. This incredibly creepy looking man. He's also very, to be honest, incredibly creepy acting yes, as well. Sir. Now, I, I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but I believe uh, Laurie uh, learned his lines phonetically for this movie, which yeah. if you, if you watch the movie, does like feel like it could be the case. His delivery is like really weird. Yeah, but it works for like someone who wants oh, to be yeah, creepy. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's great. Pilar is great. For someone who wants to be kind of like a weirdo and off kilter, an easy way to make someone seem a little strange is to have them sort of not quite speaking English in a way you're used yeah. to hearing. Yeah, there's some other weirdness in this movie. The uh, the statue that he talks to. Oh, the the yeah. wax statue. That he 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 makes allusions to the myth of uh, Galatea, and I can't remember the male character Galatea, like the male character in the story, but I don't. It's no, a Greek myth. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know it either. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he talks about it in the in the in the movie. That's all. That's basically the only place I know it from. Just that, and also there's a pretty memorable scene where he's talking to himself in the bathroom or whatever during the surgery, where he goes crazy. Yeah, um, yeah, he's going crazy basically. Here's her voice. Right, because he says, "Why can't I conquer love? I conquered death. All that stuff." And it's a pretty good, like, he's like he's talking to himself in the mirror, but it's clearly different him, and it's like a nice visual yeah. trick. Yeah. yeah, very impressive movie visually. I'm sure it was made for about $17, but they did a but lot with it. They spread that $17. Yeah. They used it entirely on, the I think, the set of Gogol's apartment, Yeah, which is an incredibly weird-looking place. Or Gogol's house. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't really build a house no, like that. It does, it's like, I, I suppose, like, every it, that's, this movie's, like, truly expressionistic. Everything is is services the mood, including the performances, but especially Laura's performance. They service this the weirdness and the emotion of the of the movie rather than any literal representation of reality. Right, because you can just you can tell what's going on. It's pretty straightforward what's happening, so you don't need like the set and the actors yeah. to reinforce that constantly. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting thing that they would rather create interesting visuals than accurately represent the world. So I read on Wikipedia that. Suggestion. It's been suggested that Orson Welles was inspired by this movie for Citizen Kane. I don't oh. know if you've ever seen Citizen Kane. I've never seen Citizen Kane. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if that's true or not. But yeah. he got to trust Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, why were they he, like? You? They kind of look like Charles Foster Kane has like, a shaved head for some of that movie. So he kind of looks like Doctor Google. I think he wears like a fur coat, has a shaved head, and the the movie's set in such a way like. I th- I think well, Citizen Kane's a better movie than Mad Love. I sh- well, a lot of people say it's like the best movie. Yeah, ever made. Uh, it's it's good. I'm not sure if that's the true. same. This the similar amount of um, effort is placed on the composition, and it's actually, but it's actually yeah. thought out a lot. 
more thoroughly, I think, and it's leads to a lot greater effect. I, I, it's probably just because he has uh, uh, Orson Welles had a lot more time and was probably smarter and cared a lot more about the movie than Carl Froon did about Mad Love. I, I don't know that Carl, this was like a throwaway job for him, but I do know that he did not want to direct movies, which is kind of weird. He wanted to just wanted to be a cinematographer. That I, I don't know the, the backstory of how he got roped into directing two American horror movies, but maybe it was just for the money or something, or some kind of contractual obligation. Uh, maybe the roles were a little fuzzier yeah. back then, and what a cinematographer was and what a director was. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Anything else you'd like to say about Mad Love? No, that's, I don't know, I can't think of much else about Mad Love. That's covered most of the part. Like, there was that ambiguity of, like, is he being possessed by his hands, or... Yeah, that was interesting, I suppose. Or is he just going a little... Is he just going a little nuts? Yeah, uh, certainly, like, if, if you're a concert pianist and you lose your hands and they, and and you wake up and you don't have the same hands, but everybody's telling you those are the same hands and you can't play the piano anymore, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there and I could conceivably see uh, someone going insane. Yeah. Uh, How you got good at knife throwing? Yeah, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the rub, I suppose. I, I don't know if there's any science at all there. I really couldn't say. I feel like there's probably not. I, I don't know. I, they, have they done hand transplants? I don't know. It depends what... That's probably like just them taking the term muscle memory very yeah, literally. Yeah, it, it definitely... I mean, it, clearly they were not inspired by science. I was just curious as if there was actually any science under that somewhere, you know? Like, that that we could fit to it after the fact. But I suppose there probably wasn't. I don't know if you if you realize that that's that's Colin Clive playing Stephen Orlock, and he's uh also plays Doctor Frankenstein. That's okay. his other main famous role. I didn't realize yeah. that he basically having never seen Frankenstein or Brighter Frankenstein. Nope. Yeah, I've seen that in these movies. All right. All right. So I guess that's that. If you like today's podcast, let me know by visiting goldenagehorror.com where you can read the show notes or leave a comment. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to our email list. Follow us on Facebook to get the news about the latest episodes. You can find all the information, again, at goldenagehorror.com. Uh, tune in again next week. We'll be discussing the Technicolor Nightmare, Dr. X. Thank you for listening. <laughs>